Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, to the end of the chapter. While you turn there, I just want to ask you, what do you say to people who need the comfort of God? When facing death, when facing loss, what do you say to people who need encouragement? Uh, Paul is writing, I'll remind you, Paul's writing to the Thessalonians who are a quiet uh, group of believers who have made a big splash simply by gathering to worship together. And they are impacting the entire world over. So what do you say to these people when they have lost loved ones or people have died or other brothers and sisters in the church have died? Let's go 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So Paul tells us how to encourage one another with those words. With these words that are relatively complex and, um, let's be honest, weird if you're not a Christian. This, what he tells you to be encouraged because, and I'm just going to sum it in first reading, because Jesus is coming back He's going to bring a bunch of people with him and it's going to be amazing. And, oh, and dead people are going to rise. And then, and then those who are still alive are going to fly. Encourage each other with those words. This is a, a very... Imagine, imagine telling that to somebody who does not believe in Jesus or who maybe even doesn't believe in an afterlife. Let's... Just for a second, think about how odd that conversation would be. So we are to encourage each other with these words, but he he says it very plainly at verse 13. We don't want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Asleep is a word that is used in the New Testament to describe Christians who die. Christians who have died are not dead, they are asleep. That's the way Paul refers to them uh, in most of his letters. They are asleep, and he calls them asleep because one day they will wake. There's a truth about Christianity that when we die, we go to heaven. 
And we will wake. We will be resurrected. Our bodies will be resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks very plainly about the fact that we will have resurrected bodies and they will be incredible. And they will all be unique and look different and be odd and oddly the same as they are now. And yet oddly different. It's weird and amazing and unfathomable. So, he says... We don't want you to be uninformed about those who fall asleep. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. I remember when I was a a ninth grader and I had a friend who was a believer who had had passed away. And he had passed away by some pretty uh, dramatic and dire circumstances. And they announced it at school. It was so dramatic that they announced it at school and offered counseling in the school said you could go to the auditorium to get counseling if you were having a difficult time dealing with the passing of this particular student. And so uh, I went down to the auditorium just overwhelmed. I went down and I sat down in there and I started uh, just kind of weeping a little bit. And a random janitor sat down next to me. I'm not sure who this janitor was. I'm not sure that I had seen him before. I'm pretty sure that I had. I, I don't know though, but I sat down next to me and he, he looked at me and he said, hey, aren't you a Christian? And I thought to myself, oh man, I'm going to have to share the gospel. Um, I'm in the middle of this weeping and crying for my friend and I'm going to have to share the gospel. And he said, aren't you a Christian? And I said, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And, you know, it was one of those moments when I was like, I need to compose myself and get it together. And, you know, well, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And, and I, you know, so I was ready for the discussion, and he said, boy, we don't, we don't weep like the world. We don't weep like the world. He said, we, we don't. We don't weep like they do. They, they are consumed with death. We are not consumed. We don't weep like they do. And, it struck, and that's all he said. That's all he, he just looked at me, and he said, we don't weep like they do. And then he stood up and left. And... I've never forgotten it. I've never forgotten that moment, that, that time when I was scolded by some random janitor at my high school who sat down and said, and I, I don't know, I, again, you, I mean, you could argue, I've had angelic encounters before. This is a weird one. I don't know if this was an angel or a janitor. I'm pretty sure I had seen him as a janitor before. Pretty sure he was just a janitor who happened to know that I was leading the school Bible study. And he... Uh, he sat down and we don't weep like the world does. And he stood up and he left. And I was struck by that. It's true. We don't weep like the world does. We weep on a different level. We still weep. It's still sad and tragic. Death is never a happy occasion. Uh, funerals for Christians can be celebrations. But you're still sad. You still miss people. You still have those moments when you're like, I wish I could call that person. And so Paul writes to his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica and says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to think that you can weep like the way the world does. You don't. You're not the same. It's not the same for you. The pain is great, but not hopeless. Loss is great, but not hopeless. Indeed, it is 
It is better. So here he says, we don't want you to worship, to grieve as those who have no hope. Hope here is the expectation of something good. That's what hope is here. It's the word elpis. It's the expectation of something good. And it comes from what follows. It comes from what follows. And I'd like you to see there are four things that follow. He, he labels almost all of them really easily for you with the word for at the beginning. So if you're looking at your Bible, you can just look at the word for. So almost all of them are four. You've got four in verse 14, four in verse 15, four in verse 16. And then you've got 17 of them. Right? So you've got four, 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 then. And those are all his answers as to why we have hope. Why we mourn and weep with hope. Why can Christians have celebrations in life? Hope. Why do we get hope? So let's look at these together. Verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, we've got this odd phrase here at the end. Bring with him those who have fallen asleep. I want you just to, for a moment, think about that and and kind of ponder this. We know a couple things to be true in Scripture. One, the Lord is going to come back, and he's going to come back, and the, the Bible describes, with all the saints. They're going to come back with him. That's true. That's true. Uh, we know, and that's uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 through 13, and 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 7. It also says not only do the saints come with him, but angels come with him as well. So we've got this heavenly host army of saints and angels coming back with the Lord when he returns. So we know that that is going to happen. We know that that will happen at some point. But is that what this is talking about? It's the question. Question is, is that what he is talking about here? Look at what he says here in verse 14. For since we believe, so since we believe Jesus died and rose again. So Jesus died and rose again. That's what he he brings up here in this passage. He says the first reason we have hope is Jesus died and rose again. Because we believe that. Because we believe that. Even so, or in like manner, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep, clear, died. Fallen asleep ties to died. Jesus died and rose again. Fallen asleep ties to died. Bring, bring them back or bring them with him. Ties to resurrection. Jesus died and rose again. We are brought back with him. And we who have fallen asleep are brought back with him. Brought, brought with him. He brings us with him. So this is talking about resurrection. And yes, I want to be clear. There is a time that the heavens will open, Christ will return, and that, that, is, that is going to happen. This verse is emphasizing that you are going to be resurrected. That those who have died in Christ Jesus... Get resurrected life. They, th- you will have a body. This isn't some spiritual, ethereal thing from a distance in which you are, you are floating on some cloud as a spirit playing a harp for a thousand years. 
That's not what heaven's like. Heaven is not just some white light that you stand in. You know, when I was young, I thought heaven was this place where you sat and on a cloud and you, everybody was given a harp and you learned the perfect worship song, maybe sang that for a thousand years and felt better. That's No. In heaven, there are jobs. There's building. There's creation. God continues to create and build out. It's massive. It continues to grow. Heaven is the creative power of God on display for eternity. An inexhaustible God creating. And you get to be there and be a part of it. And you have jobs there. It's amazing. So we see here the first hope is that we get resurrected from death. We get resurrected from death. He died and rose. And your loved ones who fell asleep, will, He will bring with Him. They will get resurrected. He will bring with Him. Then verse 15, the second point. So the first point is those who die don't stay there. They will come back. They will be resurrected. The second point where we draw hope from is for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord by, from, by a word from the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep so the second point those who have fallen asleep those who have died go first they are before the Lord first, before us. They're not, they're not waiting. Listen, there was, a, there was an abominable uh, or a, a heretical doctrine that was perpetuated somewhere around the 1500s called soul sleep. And it's this idea that everybody dies and you just kind of, you wait until the last day and then everybody at the same time wakes up. So it's like everybody who dies gets the same revelation of God at the same time and everybody wakes up at the same time and it's a, all happy, and so nobody beats anybody to heaven. Nobody gets there at a time. It's just you're asleep until Jesus returns. No. Just, that's not what the Bible talks about. That's, there's a lot of people who cling to that as though it's some sort of comfort, and I just want to dispel that's a false comfort. The truth is, when you die, you're present with the Lord. As a Christian, when you die, you are present with the Lord. We know this because in the book of Revelation, it talks about the martyrs standing before the throne of God, asking Him, when are you going to go back? Not only are you present before the Lord, but you get to see history unfolding in the intermediate, what we call the intermediate heaven. The not fully uh, earth heaven, consummated heaven that we see at the end of the book, but the intermediate heaven in which you get to stand before the Lord with Jesus and you're there with Him. We, the people who die, we don't get, they precede us. They go first. They go first. So how's it going to work on the, on the end time? The resurrection, how's that going to work? The same way. Those who have died, resurrect first. And those who are on the earth, Second, but how does this work? When we, as Christians, die, 
We go to be before the Lord. We are still alive in Him. Christianity, death is not a period. It's a comma for us. In the, the story of your life, death is a comma that moves from the introduction to the novel. We begin life. This is powerful. And of course you would draw hope from this. Our loved ones who have loved Jesus have passed on and you can, you can be certain of this, that they are in the presence of the Lord. That they are with Him. And according to Scripture, they're still actively praising Him and pleading with Him to come. Asking Him when. When, oh Lord, their, their prayers are going up like incense before Him. It's incredible. It's amazing. They're, they are standing before the Lord. Look, for this we declare. First point, they're doing it from the authority of the Lord. They declare this, that, they will, that we who are here will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Look at the way He describes us those who are still here in this verse. For this we declare, so by the authority of the Lord, he says, we who are alive, who are alive, he admits we're alive. This is, this is life. We have life here. We're not walking dead men. We're not waiting to be taken. We are alive. We are alive. This matters. Your life here matters. We're alive. That's the first admission. Second, we're left. We are left here. And this is where Paul is very strongly connecting with why death is sad. You see, when someone dies, they leave. And you are left here. And it's, it's hard. And Paul's not, Paul's not dancing around that. He's not... He's not excusing it. He's not going, don't worry, everybody will live so you don't have to be sad. He's pointing out, look, we are alive. We have purpose and life here. We also are left here. And this is difficult and sad and hard to deal with. We are left here. So we are alive and we are left. But take heart. Those who have fallen asleep ahead of us have gone ahead. They've gone ahead and even now are in the throne room of God. This is incredible. Verse 16 and the third point. So the first one, we, those who uh, die are not, uh, they will be resurrected. There is a resurrection to come. Those who are here, those who are waiting for that final resurrection are are not going to be, uh, the, the people who have gone on ahead are there. There is a presence with the Lord. We don't have to fear death because when we die, we're with the Lord. We, he takes us. We are His. We are with Him. And then the third point here in verse 16, for the Lord Himself will descend. And just, just for a minute, let's rejoice in this. Rejoice in it. Like listen to this just one time as you would one who is at the climax of life, 
who is in tragedy, who's in despair. Listen to this verse. Just listen to it as though you're at the, it's the darkest point in your movie. This is the darkest point. It looks like nobody's going to win. looks like everything's lost. Listen to this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with, some, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Oh, isn't that a glorious picture? Everything's gone wrong. You can almost visualize it in your head. Everything's dark. The movie's all dark. The bad guys are at the gate. Everything's clamoring. And they're like, oh no, where's our hope? And just all of a sudden, heaven rains down. This is powerful encouragement for where we get our hope from. There is no darkness that will not be overcome. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. Note, it's a military cry. He comes down in authority as the king, as the military head of all kings. He is the Lord of lords and he comes down. And if you read this in the book of Revelation, if you read the last couple chapters, you'll see in chapter 19, Jesus comes down and the war is done. In Zechariah, when it describes the returning of the Lord, he lands and it's over. The mountain splits in half and there's a, a way made, a valley made for his people to get to safety. And, and even in the, the other prophets, you see hints that when God lands, it's done. There's no battle. There's no war. Oh, the masses. It says, it says that the enemies of the Lord will amass as the sands on the seashore before him. And he lands and it's over. Can you imagine being on the other side? You made a bad choice. You prepared all your tanks and armaments and you drove up to the mountain ready to fight this king who you didn't believe in in the first place. And he lands and suddenly everybody bows, including you. We get a glimpse of that when they come to arrest Jesus. We get a glimpse when they come to arrest him, and he goes, who are you here to seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes, yeah, I, I'm he. And they fall down. A glimpse. Imagine that on a global scale with an army the size of the sands of the seashore, and he lands on the mountain and everybody bows. His people are made a clear path to get away. And everybody bows. It's beautiful. This is what's being described here. <clears throat> Jesus returning. This is, this is amazing. And he says the cry of a command, a military cry. And then the voice of an archangel. This is a divine speech. So you've got the military command and then you've got the divine speech. This is beyond humanly possible. This is beyond humanity. And he cries out with the voice of an archangel the one in charge of all the angels. And then the third thing here is the, the sound of the trumpet of God. So just think in Old Testament, where do trumpets show up all the time? Feasts, always at a feast. Hebrews are always blowing trumpets at feasts. Always. Every feast has some sort of trumpet that gets blown. If you research the, the various feasts of the Old Testament, you'll see all of them have some sort of trumpet that gets blown at some point 
in time. Some sort of shofar horn. They're always at feasts and right before battles where the Lord miraculously wins. Gideon blows a trumpet, crashes a pot and raises a torch for the Lord and for Gideon. And then everybody goes nuts and they win the battle. Joshua walks around the wall seven times and all the priests blow the trumpet and the walls fall down in Jericho. Moses stands before the Amalekites. The, the Amalekites? Amalekites? I think it's the Amalekites. It might be the Amorites. I think it's the Amalekites. He stands before the Amalekites and, and he, he goes into battle and what's the first thing they do? They blow a trumpet. Like this is, they're always blowing trumpets at feasts and in victory. And note, when the trumpets are blown, when there's a battle in Hebrews, in the, in the Hebrew culture, when the trumpets are blown, it's because they've already won. They won the battle already. So he says, Christ will come with this military cry, this commanding cry, where he's in charge of everything. He will come with the divine power above and beyond humanity, and he will come with feast and victory. With feast and victory. He will come with feast and victory. And then it says, And the dead in Christ will rise first. So the first point was that those who are dead are not gone. They will be resurrected. The second point is there's an order. Those who have died and gone on in Christ are with Him now. They've, there's an order. We, they, won't, they precede us. They're ahead of us. The third point is they rise first. The dead in Christ rise first. They get new bodies. They get resurrected bodies. Now, we have the final point here, number four, verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. You see him repeat that? We who are alive, who are left. We who are alive, who are left. Take heart. He's repeated this twice. And the reason he's repeated it twice is because he wants you to understand that you are alive. You matter. You have life here. You're alive. But you're also left. You're also left here. You're left here for a reason. You're left here for a reason. You, have, you are alive and you're left. And it says we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Now, we need to do an aside here. There is a, uh, there's a doctrine that is being held that, that I hold to, um, or a, an idea that I hold to, and I'm just going to throw out words. This is a genuine aside, uh, but it's the pre-tribulation rapture. This idea is that when the tribulation that's described in Revelation comes, God will rapture off His people. His, his people, believers, will be taken from this world to be uh, removed from the wrath of God being poured out in the world. I, I want to be real clear. That's not a word-for-word doctrine in the Bible. It's a logical outpouring of a couple other scriptures. The logical outpouring of where it says in Romans 5, we will be spared the wrath 
of God, where it says that the wrath of God, the, that we escape the wrath of God in other places. It's where Jesus says you will be protected from the wrath of God if you believe in him. Like these are direct bowls of wrath being poured out is what the tribulation is described as. So a pre-tribulation rapture in my brain makes sense. But it does not say in Revelation that God will do it. It's not a word-for-word thing. This is an idea that is taken from multiple passages of Scripture, and this is one of them. This is one of the passages where it says we will be caught up in the clouds with Him. Now, I wanted to say that first and foremost so you know where my bias is. Because this is not directly stated, if you hold a different view of rapture than I do, don't feel bad. We can argue and discuss and disagree on this. And you know me. I'm going to be like, that was a great discussion. It's not going to bother me. It shouldn't bother you. This is one of those secondary issues where you can, you can agree to disagree. It's allowed. It's allowed. Why? Because it's at the end. And guess what? We're going to figure it out. Because it's going to happen one way or another. So it will happen. So we can rest in the truth that... God is coming back, that Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to come back in a specific way that he has uh, foretold for us. But let's look at this passage and see what he is getting at here. We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So there's a question here as to what this means. We, we will be caught up together. And, and the word to caught up together will, is this idea of to meet him, to meet him in the clouds. So we, we're caught up to meet him or called to a meeting in the clouds. Now this, this phrase, called to a meeting, is used two other places in Scripture. One is uh, with the wedding feast, the, the wedding banquet where the ten virgins have to keep their oil lamps lit and a bunch of them go off to, to get their oil. Like they run out of oil and they go get more oil. And while they're gone... The master returns, and when he returns, it says they went out to meet him. They went out to meet him, and then they return and go back in. So the the use of this word is they go to a meeting to welcome him, and then they go back in. That's the the use of the word there. Um, The second use is in Acts chapter 28, verses 14 through 15. And the brothers go to meet the other brothers and bring them in, in to where they were. So they're going out to get somebody and meet them and then bring them in. And that's, that's the use of this word. So there's a, when it says that he's caught up to a meeting, it's they're caught up to this meeting in which they're going to turn right around and come back. That's what this is getting at. Is turn right around and come back. There's, so this in particular, while it might be referencing Something like the rapture is not specifically addressing the rapture, but is rather addressing meeting with God when he returns and coming back to the earth in his return. So caught up in the clouds with him to a meeting in which we're going to turn right back around to the earth. That's the, that's the imagery that's being done here. So he says, 
we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, with those loved ones, with those brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep. We're caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We're caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. The word caught up is the, where we get the idea of rapture from, by the way. That's the, that's, it's just an old English ver- version of that word, caught up, rapture. Like that's what that is. That's what it means. So you can't deny that there is some sort of rapture that happens. The question that people struggle with is when does that rapture happen? That's the struggle. Does it happen pre-tribulation? Does it happen mid-tribulation? Does it happen after the tribulation? Does it happen only at the second coming? When does it happen? Does it happen? And, and that's debatable and not the point of this text. There's a rapture for sure. There's something that happens here where you're caught up in the clouds. And, and the word that's used here is emphasizing something. It's not emphasizing that you get caught up and taken away. It's emphasizing that you get caught up and come back. So the Lord doesn't abandon the earth. The Lord doesn't abandon the earth. He doesn't abandon you. He doesn't abandon His people. He, you get caught up and immediately in this meeting in which He is coming back. But you get caught up in the air in the midst of His return with everybody who's been asleep. And this is where the hope comes from. The hope comes from the fact that God's not done. Even at the end, He's not done. And you are going to be with Him always. God is. Is the reward. You get caught up with everybody else in the clouds at this meeting, and then you're with the Lord forever. He will make His dwelling place among His people. He will be their God, and they will be His people. And He will be with them forever. You will have no need. These are Revelation passages. You will have no need for a light, for the the light of life will be with you forever. He will say, Come to me, all you who are thirsty, and drink of the living water. He will be with us forever. And all that feeling of being left is gone. All that feeling of being left is gone. You are His forever and He will always be with you. Indeed, He's with you now. But in this way, so much more tangible. And not only with you, but with everyone. He's with Everyone. Oh, so where do we derive our hope here? We derive our hope from the fact that God is with us forever and we will always be with the Lord. So we take hope. Why do we not mourn like people mourn? Why do we not weep and grieve like the people of this world grieve? Well, because we know that they're not gone. They're going to be resurrected. But there's a resurrected body for them. Second, we know that... They're not asleep as in unengaged and in the ground. They are with the Lord. We know that God is in control of everything. 
that he's in control of everything and the dead in Christ will rise first. There will be resurrection because Jesus is coming back. And then finally, we don't mourn like those who have no hope because there will be a day when we will be caught up with him forever. We will be caught up with him forever. Not me, not I. We who feel that feeling of being left will be caught up with him and present with him forever. So, encourage the brother with these words. Encourage the brothers with these words. That there is resurrection life. A funeral for a Christian ought to talk more about heaven and life than it does about death. A conversation with Christians ought to involve more about life and resurrection than it does about the things of this world and death. This world is walking dead people, but we are alive. And though we are left, he will come back to get us. Oh, what encouragement we can take from this. Belief in Jesus Christ has rescued us from sin and death and given us life abundant and life now and life eternally. Father, we pray that you would be delighted in our meditations.